now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. First edition news with Mark Van Aken in a minute. But like life in football, you can rarely be sure what you're going to get from one week to the next. Sometimes good, others bad. But this week we saw the worst as the grim spectre of international terrorism once again touched the world game with the bombing of the Borussia Dortmund team bus ahead of their Champions League quarterfinal against Monaco. On Box to Box this week, we're going to take a serious look at the motivations behind these attacks with research professor Greg Barton, Chair of Global Islamic Politics at the Alfred Deakin Institute of Citizenship and Globalisation. Professor Barton is an international respected expert on the subject and will surely leave us at the very least a little more knowledgeable on the issue which doesn't look like it's going to go away anytime soon after the serious stuff of course we'll get back to the footy and what surely will be an interesting chat with the feisty gaffer of the perth glory kenny Lowe. a big game this sunday and other results going their way might mean a home final for the glory. Looking forward to that chat with one of our favourites, Kenny. Then more domestic football as we wrap up the first hour with our man Dean Hennessy to go through the final round of the A-League regular season in detail and a little forward look into the finals. And in the second hour, as always, we'll kick off with second edition news. Before we talk to ESPN and Fox Sports commentator, former player, professional player in the USA, Glenn Davis, about the joint USA-Canada-Mexico bid for the 2026 World Cup, which would be a mouth-watering proposition and a pretty compelling one at that before Dino returns to go through all the international news, the Champions League results of this week and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. Edge, it's been a sad week in some ways which could have been a lot worse but you know we're going to talk to Professor Barton about the issue of of, um, Islamic terrorism and how you know uh, it affects the world game and sport but UEFA's treatment of Borussia Dortmund around this whole issue I thought was haphazard and heartless to be generous, sending them a text asking if they were ready to play and then pretty much dictating the terms to them that less than 24 hours after their team was attacked by you know, terrorists that they had to go out and play that game. Yeah, I think you're right, Rob. No doubt about it. Um, I think that uh, maybe a little more compassion could have been shown. And also, you know, if they have their time again, maybe they might have done it differently. I think mm. um, it's a bit hard to assess what you would have done. Had have you been calling the shots in that situation? I mean, there's a lot of pressure on to keep the show rolling, but uh, maybe not understanding the full extent of what happened. Um, I mean, it still uh, was obviously some significant blast and a, mm. and a serious injury to one of the players. So, But these are people at the top of, of, of the pile here. You know, they paid big money. They've got big responsibility. They put their hands up for it. And they, yeah, it's just my view that, that they... they they ought to be reacting with the appropriate response to, to at least sit down with the, the group and have a conversation with them, even if their view was, we're going to play the game no matter what you say, but let's just talk to you about it and make you feel a little bit warm and fuzzy about the whole thing. For God's sake, if it had been a bigger bomb, the joint would have been blown up and there wouldn't have been any game to talk about. That's that's just what I reckon. Off the long run, Rob. No, no, that's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what... Uh what uh, Deakin University's Greg Barton has to say in more detail about that. But I'm thinking about Bessart Berisha tonight. Do you know why? 
because as, as we're going to wear, he'll be getting ready for the game. Mm. And uh, he's on 18 goals. He's scored 18 goals, and so has Jamie McLaren mm. and Bruno Fornaroli, 17 goals. So we are heading into the last round mm, mm, mm. of the regular season. Mm, and mm. who will finish top goal scorer in the A-League? That's for sure. And we're going to talk about all the footy throughout the show. Because even though we're going to talk about the serious the, stuff at the top, we're going to yeah, get into the nitty and, bits. And Bessart well. probably has the best opportunity to get a couple of goals because of who Victory are playing tonight. Mm, um, mm. But other things off the top of my mind that I, you know, you know, as I, I come to the table with three issues, it's been an interesting week from the point of view. You know that I uh, hearken back to the, the great old days of the NSL. Uh, during the week, the anniversary passed 40 years since soccer breached out and uh, and formed its national league. Um, we are referred to uh, as the first national football code. We've probably been a little bit unfair on the mm. Sheffield Shield that was going around for about 100 years prior to that. <laughs> a but, little bit. But yeah. um, we'll put that one to one side. But it is good to celebrate those football times and code. some great images on social media during the week of, of uh, the NSL days. But what about uh, the last one? And I'm going. Oh, this will lead into Mark's uh, news, no doubt. Um, We've had our problems in our sport. There's no question about it. We've had mm. a little bit of fan violence from time to time, even in the old NSL days. Mm. We've had uh, all sorts of different things happening. But uh, double standards in reporting. The AFL had what I would consider a pretty serious incident at Amy Park last mm. week mm. and not really uh, the, vind- the vindictiveness of the reporting hasn't really come out mm. as it would if it was an event at a football match, a mm. soccer match, for example. Mm. So that's probably worth reflecting. I know Mark's got some comments about that in the news. Well, we do. We'll hear from Mark Bosnich uh, on uh, his show on Fox. Um, a couple of things. It's uh, Adelaide Oval. Amy Park's a rectangular oh, that's stadium right. in Melbourne. That's right, Adelaide And you Oval. were thinking of Amy, Amy Stadium previous Amy to that. Stadium, yeah. And uh, also, I'm coming up for a long run too, Rob. Mm. Uh, Monaco, is that down in the French River area, is it? Say that again. Monaco. Oh, give me a Come break. On, it's pronunciation. <laughs> God's sake, now, getting picked up by a pedant like you on subjects oh, like mate. that. We're talking serious stuff I'm here. I'm all, mate. I'm like Barack Obama. Now, UEFA, going back to your point there, boys, is offside um, with the Borussia Dortmund. Says it felt completely ignored over the rescheduling of their game. Um, that came straight from Thomas Tuchel, the coach. So um, the reality is we were told by text message, as you touched on, Rob, that UEFA was making this decision, a decision made in Switzerland that uh, concerns us directly. We will not forget it is a very bad feeling. Mm. But following those comments, UEFA released a statement saying the decision to play the match at 5.45 uh, on Wednesday was made in complete agreement with clubs and authorities. So someone is telling us untruths. Mm, yeah, I... Um... And the point being, Rob, I mean, mm. I know it's not an apples with apples comparison. You look at the response of the CBF uh, over in Brazil and the other clubs in Brazil to mm. the Chapecoense yes. disaster. And again, completely different, I know, because it was an entire team completely wiped out. But what state of mind do you think these elite players at Borussia Dortmund are in when, yeah, they very well could have been blown mm. to pieces mm. and you're expecting mm. them to play the next day? Yeah, these guys get paid tens of millions of dollars, some of them, but it doesn't mean they're not human. That's right. No, good point. What about the fans? Uh, the mm. Monaco fans, or Monaco, as Mark might say, mm. um, depending on which uh, side of the fence <laughs> you come from. having a Monaco bar or not. That's right. That's correct, yes. Um, but what about those fans who were showing great experience or great uh, empathy with the Dortmund team? Uh, and also, what about mm. uh, the Dortmund fans... Uh, Letting their mm, their mm. Uh, their fans of uh, the opposition team stay with them overnight so they could yep. see the game the next day. Great. Uh, yeah, that, that 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 was the game itself responding well. The people of the game as opposed to the executives. I tend to put um, uh, uh, the uh, observations of UEFA into the um, uh, the the horse had already bolted sort of scenario when uh, when it comes to uh, their response. Um, I'll, I'll back the um, the Borussia Dortmund coach. Um, why, why would he say that? If um, if uh, it was not true.
And he's, and he is one of the sharpest uh, cats in the world game. So yeah. uh, anyway, it's, it is what it is. They've lost the game three two to uh, what is basically on paper anyway an inferior opposition. So they've they've paid the price both uh, mentally and physically. And we're just going to play a little bit of audio from that game because like Liverpool, Borussia Dortmund don't mind uh, pulling out the old you never walk alone. But the Monaco fans joined in with them. that you've got a German club singing Never Walk Alone. Anyway, apparently it happens a lot over in Germany. They sing in English, which I find very surprising. There's not a lot of EPL clubs sing their songs in German. I remember the German fans singing in English at the uh, 2010 World Cup as they were putting England to the sword just so the English fans could understand. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, well, the Germans, uh, they, you know, like a lot of people in Europe, um, they, you know, they, they speak English particularly well. But uh, in the course of preparing for this week's show, uh, I did make a few phone calls to uh, to Der Spiegel you and, did, yeah. Uh, yeah, to the Westfalische Rundschau, the local newspaper in Dortmund. <laughs> and I did get through and uh, I found even Deutsche Welle, when I, I rang them, the, the German radio service, uh, they had some... Uh, voicemail systems which were automated which gave you your uh, response in German and then also repeated it in English but um, unfortunately um, the people that I actually got through to in the wee hours of the morning were unable to uh, to get through my uh, my poor German. On the upside though Rob you've now got a subscription to the Spiegel and you've got a free tote bag so <laughs> exactly. there we, go. we need to see the lighter side of these things don't we because no one was killed and uh, and in some of these incidents um you know, we could be talking about a very different story. So, yeah, I did get that tote back. Anyway, uh, and now I'm trying important. to find one of the journalists we did reach out to. Uh, in fact, Marion Laske, mm. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah. uh, did come back to me on Twitter, but essentially he's politely said, uh, got a bit going on over here at the moment. Thank you. We might be able to chat to you at a future time. Okay, so, well, well that's a response, and, and that's good. She she was the uh, the journalist that, that did write the lead article alongside of uh, her colleague, uh, Dan Berg, in the uh, on the front page of the... They make uh, strong buses in Germany, Rob. Well, clearly they do, and well-reinforced ones, The uh, uh, fortunately for the, the players and everyone involved at Dortmund. So, mate, have you got anything else for us? Or well, we gonna... should we go local? You let me know. How are we going time-wise? Yeah, give us one little bit. Okay, well, Jamie McLaren broke his continental duck as Brisbane Raw remained alive and kicking in their bid to qualify for the AFC Champions League knockout stages with an upset 2-1 win over Japanese heavyweights. Kashima Antlers at Suncorp back on Wednesday, down and almost out after picking up just one point from their opening three groupie Group E matches, the Raw turned the tables on Kashima, who beat Brisbane 3-0 in Japan just last month. Goals to McLaren and Brett Holman had the Raw 2-0 ahead, with the hosts surviving a late scare when substitute Ryota Nagaki pulled one back for Kashima with 11 minutes remaining. Um, also, as we know, Adelaide United had a, a massive win this week as well, an amazing 3-1 win over South Korean club Jeju United. So the reality is, after that first week, we were all up in arms, and I think we were talking to, was it Paul Williams, I can't recall, or might have been Mark Redan. You know, everyone was jumping up and down, and I've got to say at the time, I was half jumping up and down, half going, well, geez, it's only been one game. How can we become this yeah, we bad did, we did cop a this quickly? Yeah, we did, but... 
you know, I don't think we became rubbish at uh, Asian Champions League in the off-season. So good to see that over the balance of now the entire, or close to the entire group stage, it's looking likely two of our three teams will get through. Of course, Western Sydney, no good. So you, yeah. you're channeling the, the soccerist coach, Mark, remaining positive. You're not going to mention Western Sydney Wanderers bowing out of the uh, the event with their loss? Confident I just did. Yeah, he did. Mm. <laughs> but um, <Are> you listening? <laughs> it's the, the the second half of the uh, of the, the the qualifying games was far better than the first half. It was, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. There okay. we go. Let's take a break. We <laughs> know you're the host, Rob, but I'm, yeah. I'm cutting to the break now. Yeah, moving right along. Well done, Professor Barton, Professor Greg Barton. After the break, to talk to us about in more detail the Islamic terrorism connection with the Borussia Dortmund bombing. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you the Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now this week, the football world was shocked yet again as international terrorism went close to causing a catastrophe with the bombing of the team bus of Bundesliga side Borussia Dortmund as they were about to set off for the Champions League quarterfinal against Monaco. Research professor Greg Barton, who is chair of global Islamic politics at the Alfred Deakin Institute for Citizenship and Globalisation, is an international authority on the subject and we welcome him to Box to Box. Great to have you on the show, Greg. Great to join you. Thanks very much. So, um, I guess someone with their finger on the pulse uh, in in the way that you do have it, um, these sorts of things must come as no surprise to you. It's just a matter of where and when around the world. Yeah, it's a sad reminder that we're in a more risky period now. This attack, as it turned out, was pretty amateurish and and fortunately no one was seriously hurt. Uh, But it is a reminder that somebody could launch something more effective and and people could be uh, killed and maimed and... um, there's no no simple way of stopping that. Um, we do know that the uh, the attackers in their signed notes they claim to be linked to ISIS. We don't know whether they are, but they said that uh, now high-profile people, celebrities, um, artists, uh, sports people, sporting events would be prime targets, and and that just confirms what we've known for some time. So, insofar as the distinction, there was a, apparently an anti-fascist group trying to make some claim. That's not unusual for for some organisations to try and uh, share the, the the spurious limelight in these sorts of incidents. No, it's not, and that that that, uh, that far left group, um, uh, the police haven't given all the, the logic behind what they're saying, but they're saying that we don't think it's credible, which doesn't stack mm-hmm. up. So, we don't know that it is uh, ISIS, but these guys mm-hmm. are claiming that they're acting in their name, and, and mm-hmm. you know we know that ISIS puts a call out to anyone, strangers, mm-hmm. to try and do something, and. Um, so even if they have no connection with them, it's still dangerous. So insofar as uh, you indicate it's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty amateurish uh, effort, it doesn't generally fit with the modus operandi of, of ISIS and, and the way they, they tend to operate. Well, the thing we've got to understand with, with ISIS is their modus operandi is, is very broad. So they all put a call out to strangers to do something in their name, and they basically encourage them to use what they have, how they can. They use a knife, use a car. We saw that with Westminster and, and Stockholm, of course, sadly. Mm. So that's that's a threat, and the use of vehicles at a, at a, at a you know, crowd gathering at a sporting event. Um, but, so it's not just sophisticated groups with, with high-power explosives. It's also people with half-baked devices like the, the Boston Marathon bombing. You know, mm. That was a, a bomb made with um, fireworks uh, powder and a pressure cooker, but um, sadly it killed and maimed. So... Um, We've got to keep an open mind about the fact that the threats come from a broad range of sources. Some of them are going to be um, uh, very low-tech or amateurish. doesn't mean they can't be dangerous, though. Greg, Australian football fans uh, love travelling the world to follow the Socceroos. Uh, in your opinion, uh, are Australians uh, any greater target than anybody else at any other major event? No, I don't think we should react to this by sort of feeling particularly... Um, 
anxious or you know, much less paranoid. Uh, there are things we can do. Though. I mean, um, Australians aren't a particular target, but you know, if you're going to a major gathering, sporting or otherwise, um, you might want to think about putting that flag on, on, your, on, on your back or sort of walking around in a loud group. You know, just be a little bit more cautious. Um, and I think the, the key advice is listen to your gut instinct. If you don't feel comfortable in a, in a crowd at a bar or something, then, then follow your instinct. And, and um, if you take that cautious approach without you know, letting it destroy your plans, um, you can increase your safety considerably. Uh, the, the realistic risk of something bad happening from terrorism is still very low, so we've got to keep that in, in, in proportion. Absolutely. And what about um, Russia? Um, FIFA is hosting the Confederations Cup in June and July in uh, in Moscow, St. Petersburg, Sochi and Kazan. And then in 2018, uh, in June and July, the, the world descends uh, with 10 cities. How do you think the Russians will, prepare, will be able to prepare for uh, the type of um, major event that that is and uh, the risks that it entails? Well, in defence of the Russians, um, they're very good at security. We saw that with the Sochi Winter Olympics. Uh, but, of course, there were terror attacks leading up to the Olympics. They have a lot of enemies. A lot of the guys fighting in Syria with ISIS are so-called Chechen, people from the Russian Caucasus, uh, and, um, you know, it's the same broad networks that have launched those attacks in Moscow and, and uh, all, all through the Caucasus. And, of course, St. Petersburg, although it wasn't so for the Caucasus, it was, was, it was a guy from Central Asia, uh, it's that same sort of sense that Russia is acting against um, the Islamic State so-called caliphate and therefore their prime target. So we can expect it's going to be a tough road for Russia, but they're very good at security. Um, I, I don't think at this stage we'd say don't travel to Russia to, to Russian games, uh, but you know, recognise that it's, um, it's, it's going to be uh, very highly securitised, a lot of hassle, uh, travel light, and, and be prepared to change your land, plans at the last minute if something develops that you know, just means it's not, you feel it's not worth the risk. This is Box to Box. We are talking to research professor Greg Barton, chair of Global Islamic Politics at the Alfred Deakin Institute of Citizenship and Globalisation on the uh, the incident at um, the Borussia Dortmund uh, team bus. And, uh, and, and thank God it did not work out as poorly as it could otherwise have, have turned out. Uh, but in terms of the local view, Greg, uh, you, you, you've answered uh, Michael's question there around international travel. What about domestically? Uh, we haven't as yet seen major events. I mean, obviously the Lint Cafe siege uh, was a lone wolf scenario who, again, had um, limited connections but claimed association with um, Islamic uh, uh, issues. You would reasonably expect that, um, that we should take similar precautions at home, I would have thought. Oh, yeah, there, there certainly are very high levels of precautions being taken at home. Um, you know, we're very fortunate that, that police in Australia have done a, a really good job uh, they've stopped a dozen attempted attacks, but we've had, um, we've had sadly, um, five that have gotten through. So, you know, there's no, there's no absolute guarantee. One of the things that's been on police minds for some time, we had it with this Anzac Day uh, plot and other plots, but really reinforced after the Westminster and Stockholm vehicle attacks, is the prospect of somebody driving their car into a crowd of pedestrians. And, of course, we had that horrible incident in Melbourne. wasn't terror-related, mm. but it shows you just how, how lethal a, a, an ordinary family sedan can be. So uh, we're going to see a lot more efforts at stadiums to try and break up um, easy routes in for heavy vehicles or any vehicles that, mm. that could be uh, used as a weapon. What it means when we go to the games is, is, is just think about the fact that if, if you see a disturbance in a crowd, mm. people running, screaming, that's what could happen. And, mm. and so if you, if you have that in mind, mm. um, likely that you, you'll be prepared to, um, to respond in time. It, it, it's not, once again, it, it's not a, a 
very high likelihood that something police mm. have to prepare for. And so it's it's perhaps the crowds gathering outside the stadiums mm. uh, more than anything inside the stadium we've got to be concerned about. This is almost the uh, the, the 9-11 2.0, isn't it, where the original terrorists uh, hijacked aircraft and uh, and were the first to use aircraft as, as weapons. And uh, and now that, that that's almost been taken out of play in many ways, uh, the, the, the motor vehicle has become the weapon of choice for, for some of these people. It has, and with these recent attacks, but particularly the uh, the Bastille attack in, in, in Nice, and of course mm. we had the, the Berlin Christmas market attack too in December, um, but you know they showed how an ordinary uh, vehicle, a particularly heavy vehicle like a truck, uh, can uh, cause so much harm. And we are fairly confident we can stop uh, terrorists getting into the cockpits of aircraft. Mm. We can't, you know, guard every vehicle. I mean that that beer truck in um, Stockholm, the poor guy was just doing his delivery, had the ramp down at the back, and the guy, mm. you know. The, jumped in the, the open cab door. Um, we're going to be obviously taking cautions against that, but uh, we are facing an array of, of um, kind of low-tech um, opportunistic threats that, mm. that mean that um, police are having to think very creatively about how they mm. deal with the threat. And the more you secure a, a stadium, the more you sort of push the threat outwards down the line if you were queuing up or coming in from the car park or the yeah. train station. Um, we shouldn't panic because... Um, Behind the scenes, there's a lot of work done by police, particularly the intelligence side, looking for signs who are planning something, and they've got a very good record. But it's also sensible that we're responsible about just being aware and, 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 and thoughtful when we're out in a crowded place, particularly at a major sporting event. So your message, Greg, is, is that on the one hand, the, the general public should have confidence that the Australian authorities are at the leading edge in terms of intelligence and preparation, insofar as they reasonably can be. There are certain things that you just you can't take into consideration. But, but from the personal point of view, when you're taking your family along to a game, it's to be alert and aware and conscious of any disturbance in crowds and um, and... To, to continue to go about your business and, and enjoy your your life, so to speak, um, with uh, without the sort of threat of uh, of, uh, of constant worry every time you walk out the door. Absolutely, we can be very confident. Not only that the police are very confident, but they will be very straight with us. If they if they have concerns, they'll speak up. So when they do speak, we should pay attention. But if they're saying um, they've got no reason to be concerned, go ahead, go to the game. Um, that said, in good faith, they're not covering anything up. Uh, when we do go, as you say, uh, listening to your gut instinct is important. So. Mm. If, Go out and enjoy yourself, but if something makes you feel so uncomfortable, you know, choose Plan B. Just just uh, step away from the crowd or from that particular part of the room. If, if I mean, it's probably nothing, but you know, better better that you listen to God and think because often, often um, people are warned by something that they can't quite put their finger on, but something is, makes them uncomfortable. And with one of these um, attacks with a vehicle, if people are aware, there's a fair chance uh, they can get out of the way. We saw that um, in, in Belgium following the uh, Westminster attack. And so uh, we've got to sort of walk this fine line between not being panicked and paranoid, but also not being sort of blithely ignorant and, and not paying attention. So, Rob, um, Greg Barton uh, has given us a clean bill of health, Rob. Uh, so if you're a Green and Gold Army member, don't worry. Get on the plane, go to Russia, go to Japan and follow the Socceroos um, and have a great time. Greg, is, uh, is that your opinion, just to verify? <laughs> Look, I think what we've got to understand in this space is we're not going to let the terrorists win. So we go yeah. ahead with our plans, but be prepared to change those plans if you get it, you know, advice that um, was a credible threat. Don't. Yeah. I mean, we've had this advice, something different, but the Anzac Day uh, commemorations in Turkey, and uh, some travellers have said, oh, you know, plan for a long time, I'm going anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you get advice uh, about things like that, you probably should change your plans. So yeah. we may have yeah. to change plans for some sporting events if, yeah. if things change coming closer, but let's, let's just, you know, push on in 
good hope and good faith, and and uh, let's not this let, let this mess with our heads because but, it's it's yeah. really not that uh, serious. Yeah, but and, and in all seriousness, Australians are uh, notorious for uh, for saying uh, we won't be dictated to you. I've been to the Anzac Day ceremony at the shrine every year for uh, the last decade and uh, and there've been plenty of security concerns around that you turn up in the darkness and uh, and you know anything could happen but uh, but you say look you know the people who who went to the front and fought for us and fought for our safety and security and our freedom um, are, are the people that we remember on those occasions so the least we can do is to to be alert and and conscious but to go about our daily lives and uh, and that's that's the best response Professor Barton, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. We're very grateful for your time and your insights into this. Our listeners are football fans and they listen to this program generally to hear about football, but when there's major issues like this come up, we are obliged to delve into them as much as we can and and your knowledge and expertise certainly does that. Well, thank you very much. Great chatting with you. Not at all. After the break, stick around because we're going to get back to the football. Perth Glory's Kenny Lowe ahead of this week's final round and their chances in the finals. Box to box. The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now, Kenny Lowe is one of the colourful A-League figures we love on Box to Box. So we're delighted to chat to him ahead of this week's final round. Probably the biggest game of the, of the, the final round of football and ahead of the finals. Kenny, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. So, Kenny, uh, we've been theorising uh, on the show this evening that uh, that the plan is all out attack. You've got nothing to lose. Um, you need to win by four goals plus. Um, that's our theory. Uh, what's yours? Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. <laughs> I mean, if we want a home final, we've got a, there's got to be a difference of four. So, I think nine five would be a good result. Decent <laughs> <laughs> banter. Um, but yeah. I think if you look at us, I think I think we've actually scored three goals or more eight times this season. Mm. So the only thing is we probably do it at the other end as well. So <laughs> we've got to be a little bit. Uh, but you don't lose to City. We, we we've got to, we've got to be a bit frugal defensively. But mm. look, we're up for it. We've got, like you said earlier, we've got nothing to lose. You know, um, and we're going to go and really enjoy the occasion and mm. and go for it. Yeah. I think there's there's nothing wrong in that. And it'll be, I'm sure it'll be a, a good spectacle because they're they're an attacking side. They're fairly open, mm. so you know. But they they want uh, they want third spot. I think they want the Champions League spot. So they've probably got a little bit more pressure than us because they've already got what they want. It, it's down to them to lose it. Kenny, um, with regards to like you're looking at their strike force, and obviously the the one that comes to mind there is Timmy when he chips in, and also Bruno Fornaroli. Do you prefer having like an out and out striker that's getting lots of goals, or do you prefer what I think you've got, where with Adam uh, Taggart, uh, Andy Keogh, and Diego Castro, you've got goals from three or four different uh, areas of the pitch? Yeah, and I think if you look as well. Uh... I think it, I'd prefer that because if the main man gets an injury, a season-long injury, you, you know, you're struggling a little bit or if he's out for a while. But if you look, you know, Tags, Castro and Keogh didn't play together till round, I think I'm from right, round 12. Yeah, I think it was. You know, somewhat along those lines. So, you know, maybe if we'd had, uh, if we'd had all the boys together because Tags, you know, Tags came with a with with a few issues from the two years he'd been out, and he's worked ever so hard, and he's got back. We always said it'd be ten games with Tags, um, but the three of them have terrorised uh, terrorised defences. 
Kenny, uh, I thought uh, when the season was starting that your, your squad was um, very positive. I had high expectations. I know the season's not over. Um, one of the items that I sort of singled out, I think we do for every season with Perth, is away form. How do you judge uh, your season so far on the road? Yeah, I think uh, not as good as we'd want it. I think if you look at the first season uh, when I came in, that's something I'd kind of highlighted, and we we did really well. I think we only lost one game away from home, you know, and we're, we're like three points off the top. Um, and I think it's just difficult at times for for us with travelling and stuff. But it's definitely a big focus that if we could have, uh, you know, even one win, one win more, and and it, everything changes. You know what I mean with regards to home final and things like that. So I'd agree with you. It is uh, it is awkward uh, for us, but uh, that's not an excuse. Really, we've got to be better. So knowing knowing exactly what we're standing for this weekend, and you've got obviously, you know, a four goal cushion that you need to try and uh, deliver. How do you attack that? I mean, how do you prepare for that, uh, knowing full well that it's going to go for ninety plus minutes? How, how do you go about it? It's trying to get the early goal and, and get them on the back foot early. I think the big thing is if you can come in with a couple of goals to good at half time. If that's the case, then you know the next goal is game on or game off, and there's pressure. Yeah. You know, there's momentum. You look if it's, you know, if you're down or if it's nil nil. You know, it's always difficult uh, to, to to get that four goal buffer. But if you can, if you can score first and then pinch another one before half time. It really is, you know, party time. The crowd will be sensing it. Our mm, players will yeah, be sensing it. They'll be up for it. And then also there'll be the apprehension. What do they do? Do they say, OK, let's keep it at two? Do we do we look to score one, which means it leaves them more open? Or do they look to box it off and just sit in and, and say, OK, we're not going to concede anymore, which then makes it a little bit dangerous because then you give us the, the, the incentive to come at you. So... Really interesting, really interesting. And Kenny, though, briefly, uh, the, slaying the giant in the finals. Uh, I know it's one game at a time, and you're not even in the finals yet, though you're mm. guaranteed a spot. Uh, what it, what's, what needs to be done to, to beat Sydney and, and to, to take what many pundits have uh, have already awarded away from them? Yeah, I think Sydney can be beaten. It's, they've been beaten already off Western Sydney. You know, in some games, you know, they've been under the pump a little bit. And what the, the their top guys have done when they've been under the pump is produce something to get them out of it. You know, I remember a game at Wellington where we were welcome to well on top, it's nil nil, and then all of a sudden they've just gone up the other end and they've scored a superb goal, and the momentum changes. Uh, uh, you're just hoping that maybe the, their main guys, their X Factor players, have a little bit of an off day. You know, um, but it's uh, they deserve to be where they are. They're a very good side, very well organised, and like I said, they've got X factor in the team. At any given moment, any one of those front six can can produce. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? They they haven't been having any of those off days. And Arnie's, uh, you know, after a pretty ordinary old season last year, uh, um, mm. they've really, really bounced back, haven't they? Yeah, they've done fantastic. They, they deserve all the accolades they get. And I think if they win this weekend, they break a record of 65, mm. makes them the best team ever uh, on, on points in the A League. You know, they, they deserve all the kudos. Uh, but like you say, you know, finals are one-off games. Anything mm. can happen, you know. Mm. 
Absolutely. Coventry beating Tottenham, Man U beating Southampton, <laughs> you know, things like that. It, it happens. It, it does. does. Hey, Kenny, um, we've been lobbying for the Kenny Cam. We think that would be a, a great innovation in Australian football because uh, you are the one, one of the great entertainers on and off the pitch. Uh, you bring so much to the domestic game uh, and uh, and we love it on Box to Box, mate. Thanks for, for being on the show and good luck this weekend and into the finals. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, gents. Have a, have a nice weekend. Yeah, you too, Kenny, and, uh, and hopefully we'll talk to you again. Next up, we're talking more leg, A-League with Dina. We're going to wrap up the rest of the round. Box to box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming through TuneIn Radio, the NTS app, any app you like for that matter, or perhaps you're listening to the podcast on box to box via box2boxnts.com.au. Now our former Notts County man, 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and Hume City coach on a five-game streak. He's already had a good chat to his mate Kenny, and um, and Kenny's pumped up. But we're going to talk about the rest of this final round of the A-League and a little look forward to the finals, Dino. Excited about the round? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not really an awful lot to like pan out. I mean, there's most probably only the one game where uh, actually Kenny's boys can turn something around against Melbourne City. Mm. I think we've worked it out that it's yeah. like a 4-0 victory can turn it around to get a home final. So that's mm. quite important. And you know mm. what it's like if you get an early goal or two mm. and uh, Melbourne City are, you know... <laughs> I, can't, I can't see that at me. But, but the thing no, is, but, but, but why, why, why wouldn't they just go for, go it. for it? Yeah, they've yeah. got nothing to lose. Absolutely. And I think they will. I mean, they're at home. It's the last home game. And they want to get some form in for the finals. So yeah. I, look, I think it's I think it's a not a bad strategy. Mm. Uh, Kenny seems pretty confident about how they're going to approach it. So, mm. but apart from that, no, I think everything else is more or less mapped out for mm. us, and mm. it's just a matter of uh, how it's all going to. I want to ask Dean a question, just off the top of the bat. Uh, imagine if we did have relegation. Just dream for a moment, because uh, it'll all be on uh, the mm. bottom of the table, Adelaide and Newcastle this mm. weekend, wouldn't mm. it? Well, it's 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 because really there's only three... two goals do- goal difference between them on the same points, and yeah. everybody would be everybody would be absolutely mm. l- glued to those uh, those games that they're involved in. Well, I think it it just wouldn't just be Newcastle and Adelaide. Also, Central Coast would feature in that as well. So all of a sudden, it'd be a really exciting round and there'd be a lot of nervousness around those three mm. franchises. Are, are they getting relegated? So, yeah, look, I think, I mean, we all want we all want this. I mean, we, we go through all around the world, looking at all the leagues in the world, and everyone's got the same, but not in Australia, because mm. that's mm. not what we do. And until they do, and that's why we're all very, very strong on this, and this is why FFA need to, to heed what, what needs to be done, and it's all right, keep delaying, delaying, but mm. can't be delayed anymore. The game's getting a bit stale and we don't want that because we mm. like the A-League we love it you know yeah. and it's a good product and it can only get better yeah. if it's done properly well, s- sport's all about the stories isn't it and and one of the, the unique selling points of football internationally is that promotion relegation scenario because the, the game is so widely played and uh, and when you, you take that story out of the equation we've got uh, a lot of dead rubbers in this final round which should be edgier seat stuff and uh, you know we know that apart from one game the one that we've been talking about the Glory City match uh, that there's really nothing to play for for anybody else so it's pretty much you know bring on the finals whereas uh, in anyone in football uh, who uh, who knows uh, anything about the caper would uh, would just been licking their chops for a promotion relegation sort of final round battle well, I, I do like the finals I mean mm. I like what 
comes with the finals yeah. and it gives those teams that have bad starts mm, yeah. a time to climb back into the season, mm, you know, yeah. might have had injuries, suspensions, whatever. Yeah. But you imagine if this league is, say, 12, 14 or 16 teams mm, yeah. and it's got a final series. And every one of these games is going to kick off at three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. On the same and, time. Uh, and it's, you know, you, mm. and, you know, we, you can have that t- like they do in the Premier League when it was on Fox and we can mm. go to anyone that you want to watch live. Mm, mm. I mean, so much potential and it's not really that hard I mean you know with the you know the the new uh, what do they call it with the referees analysis uh, the analysis on regards to making decisions there a world first why can't mm. we just get this a little bit tidier mm. a bit more exciting where it, and we've all said it the last two or three weeks has been mm. a little bit hard to get through mm. where mm. it shouldn't be like that it should yeah. be every week hold on you know this week's got a lot of factors last week had this this week's even bigger yeah. and yeah. if we get that mm. it's going to be an exciting product and and the promotion point of view is for all those teams that aren't in the competition is whether mm. it's a new franchise or MPL clubs mm. or whatever they are mm. <clears throat> with a, a view to being really really I suppose professional and also ambitious mm that would be excited then and I don't think it's mm. something we need to rush either I don't think it's like we flick the switch and it starts next year I'm saying let's get this no. process well, let's just get really, really really you can com- call me a conspiracy theorist or a cynic but uh, you know I did reflect on the you know the sort of rushed introduction of the video uh, system and uh, and thought that that might have been just a bit of a, uh, a distraction from the other conversations going in the game so I mean it was a good decision but you know easily uh, <laughs> it's been in the works for a while Rob hey um, uh, no, it's, it hasn't been in the works in the Australian football I, for a I while it was a late decision Decision made yeah, and, yeah, no, uh, yeah. Yeah. I brought this up off the top of the show. Let's talk about football for a moment. So, Bessart, Barisha, 18 goals. Jamie McLaren, 18 goals. Bruno Fornaroli, 17 goals. Uh, one of those gentlemen you think would uh, probably get through to be the leading goal scorer. But I just want to raise it again because Brent... Brendan Santalev, 14 goals, but mm. all from open play. Mm, mm. Uh, if you had a, a goal-scoring uh, table from open play, he would be leading. He would. Because uh, Bessart, Jamie and Bruno have all scored a bag full of penalties. I also, um, unless unless Bobo isn't playing, I wouldn't yeah. count him out either because he's uh, he scored again last week and uh, he's on 15 and, you know, a hat-trick from Bobo against Newcastle Jets. That's uh, optimistically, it, but uh, uh, Jamie McLaren... Um, can he get ahead of Bessart Berisha? That'll be uh, and just just on Jamie, very very slow start if you remember. If we can cast our yeah. mind back to yeah. the early weeks of the A League, slow start. Oh, he'd lost his magic. It was this, that, and the others. A bit of... There has been a bit of shatakwa about him, hasn't there? There has been. He's mm-hmm. come home like a. I mean, his performance of the week was unbelievable. Well, can I ask you a question without notice? I mean, Brendan Sandlab, he's only 34 years old. He's never been capped by the Socceroos. We've got a problem scoring in open play. You're seeing international players at the highest level uh, um, doing well in their in their 30s. Is is he a guy that gets some consideration uh, off the bench um, for the for the Socceroos going forward? Not sure. I mean, it, look, it <laughs> anything's possible. He's a poacher. Yeah, and look, you only have to look, you know, all around the world where like Besh got his first international what's he he's into his 30s yeah Jermaine Defoe Jermaine Defoe's come back I mean mm-hmm. just same amazing. age same age so, and scored. look I, I don't think any coach uh, would judge anybody on age mm-hmm. I think if they're in form and they're the informed person they should be considered mm-hmm. But again, from a long-term view, it's not the way you want to look. You want it doesn't to matter, but we want someone to score goals. We need to do it now. If, if there's a knock on him, it's the fact that he he doesn't play a lot uh, for the whole matches. He mm. he comes off the bench or or gets sort of 60 minutes. Mm. You know, that's uh, probably the knock on him. But mm. um, 
look, you know, having said that, he, he scored 14 goals from open play. He did score a hat-trick a couple of weeks yeah. ago, didn't he? But, um, yeah, no, he's uh, he's been a super player this year. All right, well, let's look at this round. So we've got tonight's game. Uh, we've got um, some of our listeners will be heading out to Amy Park to watch the Good Friday match. Uh, victory v Central Coast. Uh, we just uh, lock that one in for victory. I, I think you do. I mean, they obviously, they got beat the other week and then a draw last week. So realistically, I think they just need to go now into finals mode. And this is a final, put this lot to bed Mm-mm. and then get the three valuable, well, not three valuable points, but get the form right for Mm-mm. the finals because they're going to have a week off and then Mm-mm. they'll do the preparation on who they're playing. And then, you know, because obviously that's not quite decided yet. Yeah. And so, Mariners deserve a watching brief for next year. I, I think their season has been far from a disgrace. Uh, no, me too. And uh, and they they're they're a team to watch next no, year. No, I th- I think so. I think they've played really attractive football. They've uh, you know they've had a couple of beatings, but they've had some really good wins as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I watched them against Sydney FC there live up there, and they were really good family, <laughs> very really. Mm. Really stiff, really not to get something out of the mm. game. So, yeah, I agree with that, Rob. I think uh, Central Coast Mariners, you know, with a few new signings, I think it could be a, a good year next year. I think of those bottom four teams, they've clearly improved the most. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if they, I think the Deans hit the nail on the head. It depends on who they can bring in the door. Yeah, they've got yeah. to just bring a little bit more. And keep the kids going. Yeah. yeah, keep the kids. Well, they'll do that, I think. But a bit of quality, just mm. like, give that X factor, and that could be the difference. Yeah, well, they, and to the Mariners, and, and looking forward to the next game on... on uh, Saturday, uh, the Sydney FC v Newcastle Jets at 5.30 match where they'll be uh, handing the premiership plate and uh, and our friends Terry McFlynn organised uh, for uh, our mate Michael and Antonella Alafarci to be in present, our friends from Storage King at the, the pre- handing over of the premiership plate. Again, Newcastle probably fit the same sort of category as, as the Mariners, don't they? They've they've done better than we would have expected after yeah, the chaotic start to the season. the last six or seven games have been pretty bad. Well, I think, I think they still need, if they do, if I, I make sure I get this right, that if they do get the three points, they do break the record mm. based on points. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. last week, you know, even though they conceded very, very late, uh, but they did mm. get, you know, the benefit of the video, which was great, which gave mm, them the chance mm, to score. Mm. But look, I, I think uh, Sydney's been outstanding this year, and mm-hmm. uh, I think it'll be a comfortable win, and it, you know, it, it'll again be part of their preparation for the finals. What about New- Newcastle? Look, I think at times Newcastle, especially early on, were quite good. And I think they've just lost their way towards the end of the season. Um, 17 goals uh, they've had scored against them without getting one. And I think mm-hmm. that's the factor where it, they've done well, they huffed, they puffed. Uh, but there's a big job there. I mean, Laurie from CEO to, to Mark managing, you know, with the with the franchise. I think, look, at the end of the day, I think they'll know what to fix. And they'll be very, very busy in the off-season. When the two teams returning from Asian Champions League football... What do you think? Uh, Adelaide um, got nothing to play for. Wanderers need to keep their form up. It's an away match for the Wanderers. Yeah, look, that Western Sydney Wanderers can't affect in the fact, really, a home final, but they can certainly affect who they, scratch who, who they actually... But they turned their season around, don't they? they? And, play, they, and they they're dark horse in the And they, finals, want to st- they want to stay, even when they were 3-0 down in the Champions League, they mm. came back yeah, and they, they nearly had a little chance right at the yeah. end as well. So they're, they're a team that's this, not going to lie match down. Is a scratch match. It is, it is. Mm. And, mm. and again, that's where we don't want that. We wanted to know, well, could Adelaide get relegated in mm. this? Mm. If they mm. didn't, you know, and that would be, be the champions and then get relegated the next season. Mm. But we haven't got that, so uh, we'll move on. The first of the doubleheader on Sunday, Brisbane v... Wellington at Suncorp. Uh, look, I think Brisbane. They look. They've got. They've got a little bit to protect in the sense. I just think it's. Well, just Brisbane's running. got to win, don't they? Well, they've got to win on the basis that uh, they may uh, hope that uh, Melbourne City go down. Yeah, and I th- and I think look, yeah. I think with their their form, the Champions League, mm-hmm. and Jamie in form, I think look, I think they'll beat Wellington.
Okay, and that's uh, the ultimate game, the big one on Sunday evening, 7 o'clock at NIB Stadium in Perth. Does Kenny uh, leave a happy man or does City go into the finals uh, confident in third spot? Well, I think if, if they do... T- you know, and then you know it's far fetched as they say, but if it's a four nil victory to Perth or mm-hmm. a four goal advantage, then mm. they do get that home final, and you know Melbourne City will be kicking themselves. So mm. uh, I think they win in a high scoring game, but City are good enough not to get absolutely hammered without responding with at least one or two goals. Well, they've their got own. their own threats, as we mm. all know. I mean, yeah. they've got some good players. Well, when you go forward like that, I mean, I'm far from the analyst in this room here, but uh, it suggests to me that when you go forward and you start uh, all guns blazing, that you're going to leave uh, um, some leaks in defence, yeah, aren't absolutely. you? Yeah, mm. so absolutely. So we think uh, Perth to win that one, but we're just not sure whether they'll get the job done. No, um, but again, an early start and anything can happen in football. All right, Dino, well done. Stick around after the break. After the news, in fact, ESPN USA's Glenn Davis on the joint bid for the World Cup. Dino is going to stick around and return with everything going on in the international game, and we will wrap it up with stoppage time. That's coming up on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, they're just around the corner. Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box the Box. We'll soon chat to ESPN and Fox Sports commentator Glenn Davis about the joint U.S.-Canada-Mexico World Cup bid. We'll find out what he has to say on what looks like a pretty exciting proposition. Dino is going to return with everything else going on in the international game, and we will wrap it up with stoppage time. Before that, though, what else is going on in the football world? The Leicester fans were playing up, mate. I was surprised to see that after you know the, the excitement and happiness of, uh, of their European journey. Yeah, absolutely. It was a massive night, a massive result. Of course, they still got the job to do back at the King Power, but it was, uh, as usual, it's just a small group. Uh, that uh, clashed. I don't believe they actually clashed with the Spanish fans. It was actually the Spanish police. A bit of an overreaction by some of the Spanish police reading some of those articles, though. Apparently, uh, uh, you know, yeah. just just overreaction. I think when you take on uh, right police, you expect to get a beating. Yeah, but you know, the, the, what were they saying? <laughs> I know every time I do, we, 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 we own Gibraltar, and uh, and there was a 70-year-old grandfather quoted saying that uh, one of the the Spanish right police vehicles was uh, was speeding through the town plaza where the fans were told to gather so I mean that's the kind of overreaction I'm talking about that uh, you know bringing a, a you know a, what it, uh, say a, a gun to a knife fight Anyway, I don't know if I even want to bring up. It might send you back to Bob Jane, the big match between South Melbourne and Preston, where police horses charged up the terraces into human beings and then wondered why a wheelie bin was being chucked at the horse. And they said, oh, they were horrific. They were chucking wheelie bins at the horses because you were charging at people on the horse for no good reason. Anywho, bringing up some old ground there. Mm. And now Australian football needs to tap into the intel of a generation of players who thrived overseas as the game searches for the best solutions to a growing discussion around youth development, says the boss of the Professional Footballers Association, John Didletzda, of course, someone very uh, familiar to our show, an interview with foxsports.com.au to reflect on the end of the A-League season. Uh, the PFA chief uh, says the biggest theme his organisation wants to tackle is international competitiveness, if that's a word, of Australian football. And uh, while if we had one wish, it would be for brand new stadiums of a boutique 15 to 20 
25,000 seat nature. It was interesting, the PFA, again in, in, the, uh, in light of FFA giving absolutely no leadership or direction, have come out with some um, just some spitball numbers about what it would cost to run a second division uh, this week. They're talking in order of about $65 million a season, about 10 to $12 million for admin, and then roughly 5 or $6 million per 10, say, 10 clubs in the league, which a number of NPL clubs have questioned. I've got bad news for those clubs that surely if you're going to be a professional, albeit at the lower level, you're going to bridge the gap between semi-professional and, as we know, in the NPL in Victoria and certainly other states, semi-professional is probably um, adequate for a lot of the teams and then some teams maybe it's just uh, pushing the barrow a little bit but the point is I don't think those numbers are far off Michael and it's about no, time FFA went and did some proper research perhaps UBS on. Mr Lowe you could go spend some money with them and I'm being sounds like I'm being facetious but I'm not and let's crunch the numbers and work out and I've said this on other platforms this week Go and do the research, and it's not going to be cheap. It's, it's probably going to be a 12-, 18-month project. And come back with realistic numbers on, okay, what is your sponsorship likely to be in this scenario? What is your TV rights going to be, if any? Um, what is it going to cost to physically run one of these clubs? What should the salary cap be for this competition? And then you can come out and say, hey, and only then, David Gallup, Stephen Lowy, and the board, and say, you know what, guys, here's the numbers. Sit down with the clubs and go, do you think you can make this work? Um, if it, it seems completely unachievable, well, then it is what it is. But until we do that, we just don't know, do we? No, we don't know. And uh, you make a very good point, Mark. Um, but there is so much there's so much disappointment uh, floating around the football community at the moment about how this whole uh, situation has been handled. It's, it's, it's really hard to get uh, motivated and excited about what could be until there's actually a plan put in place. Because at the moment, if FFA said there is no appetite, uh, at, their, at least around their board table, for a second division full stop. Okay. Well, the, comp- the, the problem they've got is their, their stakeholders at every level disagree. So they need, right. to, and, and they need to sort it out. And that's do, the problem we face. Do, do we need to, to look at you know the commercial sustainability in Australia of of other sports and 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 frame it in the same conversation. I mean we've seen articles uh, and 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 lots of conversation this week about rugby in this country and the, and the lack of um, sustainability to get that word out. Uh, you know of of um, what they've got right now and, and it's all around the commercial issues. You know and we've been pretty hard as a lot of other people have been hard on the FFA for for not fast tracking the you know the the, the growth, but uh, that's sort of I like a spectre hanging point, over your head, isn't I'll it? I'll let you go, Mike, first, but there's two yeah. points I want to retort on that, uh, Rob. Hmm. I think it's about expectations. Hmm. I mean, there's an expectation that uh, a second division will be played at, uh, you know, in all the stadiums that we currently play, hmm. which is probably not what should happen. Hmm. I think the stadium issue is probably the biggest one because it's hmm. uh, the stadium deals that the A-League, club face, A-League clubs face now are very challenging, um, yet that's where overseas um, the stadium revenues and, and costs are, are nowhere near what they are here in Australia. Mm. So, I mean, that's where that's where we have a bit, bit of a big problem. If we have a second division, you've got to expect that there'll be games at places like Olympic Village Correct. and, and uh, Hume City's home ground. Mm. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. Nor are those costs that exorbitant when you do mm. get down to that level. That's right. When you get out to a Hume where there is a, a very good deal between the club and the local council. Um, Olympic Village. Um, we were only talking Victoria, obviously Sydney United's ground with yeah. a little bit of TLC that it would no doubt get, Marconi, etc., mm, etc. Yeah. These are the stadiums that these clubs would be playing in. And yeah, if and when they got to... And these are the... Anyway, two of those points on, on rugby, Rob, mm. I disagree with you. It's not all commercial. I know commercial mm. is driving mm. a lot of it. Mm. But I think is it not also about just development because mm. we've worked out Australia just doesn't have enough rugby talent, especially in a mm. time where it's regressing. They're, they're spread at grassroots of their game that they realise, well, geez, we don't have enough talent because you have teams like the Rebels and the Force getting smashed week in, week 
week out. I think that's a big part of it, which is irrelevant with football because we're just playing in our own, ironically, global but also isolated league. So putting an extra two or three teams in is not going to um, either improve or weaken the quality of our of our soccer roots. There's available football talent to, uh, you know, Correct. Uh, you know, these second division clubs eventually can raid, you know, the lower tiers of clubs all over the world to secure talent. Mm. Can you just imagine, the, we're probably not going to get onto much else here, but the, the, again, the, you talk about the disappointment and the frustration. When the A-League or the FFA have come out and said, oh, we can't put these two extra teams in because they're extra travel costs, etc., etc. just how short-sighted is that? Do you think the AFL going to even forget their last two teams because they are strategic loss makers. But when they were putting Port Adelaide in, when they're putting Fremantle in, do you think they're going, well, geez, we can't put Freo in because we're going to have to pay for their travel costs. But yeah. I think that's, when you when you talk about that response um, in the context of what we're talking about, what's disappointing for me is that I'm prepared to give the FFA, cut them a bit of slack around um, that sort of comment. If we had a greater uh, commentary or a greater um, engagement of the FFA about the big plan, because there's nothing coming from that. There is no plan. Like he's talking to the yeah, whole of football. Yeah, I think, plan, I think that, just, that, that's the point. I think Edge really that uh, that's what people want. They just they just want to see a plan, and uh, mm. and and people just don't feel like they're they're seeing it, whether they're you know involved in the game, you know, at the professional, semi-professional, or or just uh, you know a fan. Well, all I'll say is the whole of football plan for mine is like taking a lettuce leaf to a gunfight. Moving along, Stephen Gerrard is to begin his managerial career by taking charge of Liverpool's under-18s next season. According to Sky Sources, the 36-year-old has made no secret of his desire to enter full-time management as he's rejoined Liverpool in January. Now, of course, he was offered the job at uh, League One MK Dons uh, a little while ago. He said, look, I'm not ready for that. And more surprisingly, Liverpool confirmed they are coming to Sydney uh, next month. And Stevie G might be running out for Liverpool in that game I think that's a that's a smart move marketing wise because I think given the game is played three or maybe four days at best after their last EPL game I don't see much of a squad coming out mm. no unless they're coming out for a holiday in a yeah, but even maybe then, a twoies well we saw two. we saw Ian Rush down at Bondi this week and mm. of course all the usual Sydney stuff but I mean uh, as much as we love uh, the, the beaches of Sydney, Bondi in June and July ain't that much fun, boys, especially below the waist, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, it gets a bit wintry. But when you wheel out retired players, no matter how glorious their career's been, it really, I mean, it reduces it to an exhibition game to a bit of fun, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And look, there's been a lot of talk about the prices of tickets. But I mean, again, I don't know what people would expect when you bring Arsenal, when you bring Chelsea, when you bring these clubs to Australia. I don't know what you think you're going to pay for tickets. And I don't know what you think. I know, again, apples with pairs comparison because it's not a competitive game. This whole friendly thing is really taking the football public for a complete ride. I mean, it's not a real game. It's not a real game. It's it's barely an exhibition match, mm. and it's um, you know it's just a tourism event. That's all it is. It's to get some broadcast pictures of of uh, the Opera House and uh, you know back into some of these uh, clubs' constituents to, for them to consider to come for a holiday. It's not real football. What I find very interesting this time around, we might have touched on it last week. Liverpool are doing it themselves. They're not engaging a local football agent, mm. and I think these club. This is bad news for some people that we know it, that make a, a good living out of that because Liverpool's obviously worked out that yeah we can get on the phone we can make a booking at ANZ Stadium yes we can book our own hotels and we can obviously pick up the phone to Sydney FC and go hey do you want to play a game of football and make a few hundred grand so uh, that's uh, interesting that they're doing that because obviously up until now almost uh, to a team they've gone through intermediaries yes 
Very well said, my friend. Well, let's, let's wrap that up. Um, we're going to have a real good chat uh, about the international game after the break. Glenn Davis, former US collegiate player, professional player in the US leagues, and now a well-respected uh, commentator for, with both Fox Sports and ESPN. We're going to chat to him about the World Cup bid, the 2026 World Cup bid between the USA, Canada, and Mexico. So that's going to be a, a real interesting conversation. And, uh, and well, if we can't get it, I hope they do, because I reckon that would be a pretty good World Cup to go to. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio streaming via various apps and, of course, the podcast on box2boxnts.com.au. Now, like Australia, the USA were gutted when the World Cup announcements were made for 2018 and 2020. 22, but unlike us, they're saddling up again for 2026 with a couple of serious partners. To tell us all about it, former professional player in the States and current commentator with ESPN, Glenn Davis. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, and uh, and look, it's uh, it's an exciting time. Uh, it would be the first of the expanded World Cups uh, uh, should um, this pitch win it. But can you just give us a little background uh, as to this combined bid? Yeah, so I think <clears throat> a couple things. It's pretty interesting. I, I think, first off, um, the U.S. probably could have won it, won it uh, alone. Mm. Um, but I think the fact that they've sort of uh, gotten together, the heads of Mexico and Canada, to kind of make this a, a, a CONCACAF bid yeah. and, and engage the other two countries in this um, Makes a lot of sense. I think it also makes some sense in the political climate as well. Yeah. Um, it makes sense because there's going to be 48 teams. Um, you know, so, you know, I think what's interesting is the Mexican press is absolutely upset about this okay. uh, because the U.S. would get 60 games, Mexico would get 10, Canada would get 10. So they're just saying, look, we've hosted two World Cups, we're Mexico, we've got the history. Um, this is almost like a bit of tokenism, but look, their federation, you know, got together with Sunil Gulati and U.S. Soccer mm. uh, to put this thing forward. But the press has not received it very happily in Mexico. Glenn, here in Australia, after the last bidding rounds, Australia suffered the ignominy of getting one vote and being uh, eliminated in the first round of voting by the FIFA Exco, um, and there was about uh, 45 million Australian dollars effectively wasted on that there's been quite a um there's been quite an outcry of of not engaging in these bidding processes moving forward until greater confidence can be um enshrined around uh, the, the the validity of the processes has there been any of that sort of commentary in the states were, were any was anybody surprised that uh, the u.s federation was settling up so quickly after what appeared to be such a tainted uh, process last time no, I don't think so, because I think people feel pretty confident that, that the World Cup, you know, has got to make its return here at some point in the very near mm. future because of the success of 94. It's still, it's still uh, you know, the most successful World Cup in history when it comes to attendance and, and a lot of these other elements. So, <clears throat> no, I don't think so. I, I think what people could get opposed to here would be infrastructure, uh, if, if all of a sudden people started saying we needed to build stadiums, but that we don't need to build stadiums here. I mean, we've got the facilities, and I think between Mexico, Canada, and the U.S., there's 50 quality, um, you know, standardized uh, stadiums that would work with FIFA for a World mm -hmm. Cup. So, um, no, but, you know, it is a climate where I think 
people now, and rightly so, don't want to see a lot of money spent and wasted on things, you know. Yeah. Um, even in Major League Soccer, for clubs that are trying to build stadiums right now, um, you better be going with private money. I, I don't I don't think people are that happy these days to, to have taxpayer dollars put towards stadiums, to be honest with you. Yeah, and look, just to touch on what you mentioned before, I mean, the Mexicans will be placated um, by the knowledge that uh, the expectation is that all of their home games and, and probably uh, even a final or, or, or two would be played in Mexico. So they're going to see their, their home side if, if that was to be the case, uh, um, if there uh, was a little bit of negotiation uh, required. But uh, look, just you, you mentioned on the political front and, uh, you know, it uh, doesn't go unnoticed that uh, that your President Trump uh, has uh, has not been uh, that popular with the Mexicans right now. Has there been any commentary from uh, uh, from the Oval Office on, on this bid? Sunil Gulati has stated that the White House and the current regime under Trump is uh, is behind the, the U.S. World Cup efforts. So, oh. I, you know, I, I think sometimes that gets overblown. We're talking about 2026. Mm-hmm. Um, I think things will be sorted out a little bit better by then. Uh, it is a bit of a tumultuous time right now, and in, in politics in this country, I'm, I'm not a political guy, so I, mm-hmm. I'm not the guy to talk about. But, um, you know, I don't think players and teams are going to be denied coming to the United States unless unless they're in real, real conflict with the U.S. And, and that's quite a number of, uh, of years away. Yeah, it is. And uh, more likely than not, um, the Donald won't be the president that, that time around. But uh, you know, I guess the speculation around right. security and, um, and, uh, and, and people coming into the country um, will, will still remain because the, the, the spectre of terrorism, as we've seen with uh, the, uh, the Borussia Dortmund bombing, and we discussed this with uh, an expert in the first hour of the show today, is, is you know, most likely to be ever present. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to ESPN's Glenn Davis from the States about the bid and uh, the, the reception that it's getting uh, in the States. So in terms of uh, your expectation, you, you talk about the facilities and much of the facilities already being in place, private money being required. That's a conversation we're having in this country, of course, uh, because uh, we have uh, lots of other codes, rugby codes and the Australian Indigenous game, Australian Rules Football played on an oval stadium is there a large appetite that you see for private money to get behind football in the states well yeah there is with with ownership but you know when you guys told me 45 million was put towards that bid that, mm. that's staggering to mm. me. i mean I, I was sitting here going oh my god you know i'm just sitting here thinking to myself when you guys are saying that um yeah i do think so because i think the valuation of uh, mls franchises are things that that uh, people are looking at here, um, uh, you know, there's only so many sporting properties. There's a tremendous amount of cities ponying up to try and be a part of Major League Soccer mm. um, because they think it would be great for, for the sports landscapes in their cities. But I don't think people are lining up unless they, they, they think there's some level of profitability in it in the long run. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think Yes. I mean, look what Atlanta's done. I mean, they went out and hired Argentina's coach, Tata Martinez. They had 55,000 people at the first game. They have 35,000 season ticket holders. So these new franchises that are coming into this league with with very wealthy ownership, uh, private funds, uh, they're coming in in a big way, and they're setting the bar really high. And then there's, you know, the teams that have been in the league for quite some time right now that aren't in that sort of – Genre. There's kind of a, a defining line now between potential has-beens and, 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 you know, the haves and the have-nots. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out. Um, 
because I think franchises in this league have got to look at different ways of doing their business, and their vision has to change. It, you can't do things the same way you were doing five years ago and ten years, before, you know, ten years before that. This is a very different league that's evolved um, from everything from the on-field playing style to the way ownership and management have to run teams. Glenn, we often look at the MLS as a bit of an indicator of what our own domestic A-League uh, could become. Bear in mind our economics of scale and economy is very different. But one of the great successes we learn from the MLS is that uh, franchises often own their own stadiums and are able to develop um, other revenue streams from that, including property development. Um, Tim Cahill mentioned it quite extensively about how that was the case in some of these franchises. Um, what can you tell us about some of uh, those intricacies involved in the MLS clubs? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you a little bit about Houston. And, and listen, there's a lot I don't know because I'm not in these negotiations. But, you know, I did see the political process they had to go through here in Houston. And that was um, that was even with, you know, a lot of private money being built to use that stadium. I think, you know, maybe there was 15 to 25 um, million that was, uh, you, know, you know, more public type funds or but most of it was private money and i still saw politicians you know holding uh, people over the barrel to get what they wanted out of this i think the stadium could have been built a year earlier or, or even more down here in houston but you you hit the nail on the head you have to you have to own your franchise and you have to be able to you know have the ownership of the stadium in order to to take care of all those tertiary revenue streams that are so important for survival. But, um, you know, it's the stadium here in Houston is next to the baseball stadium. It's next to Toyota Center. I think development around the stadium probably has been a little bit slower than they would have anticipated. But in this town, I think it had to be uh, in the city and not in the suburbs. And, you know, the original thinking in Major League Soccer was out in the suburbs. Land is cheaper. Um, but now it's it's, it's about trying to, in many markets, um, be inner city. But, you know, the, the cities that are in MLS are all very different in very differing ways. And best practices in one place doesn't necessarily work in another, you know. For our listeners, Glenn, uh, they can follow you on Twitter at, uh, at Glenn Davis Sockets, G-L-E-N-N, Davis, D-A-V-I-S, uh, Sock, and also through your Facebook page, Soccer Matters. But back to the World Cup bid for a moment. Uh, where would you like to see the opening game and the final of this joint CONCACAF bid? Where do you think? Well, let me take my blinders off and not say <laughs> Houston, but because uh, it won't be there. Um, boy, I don't know. There's so many great cities in the U.S. Uh, that's a really interesting question for me to, to, to think about here because um, I think no matter where it is, if it's L.A., you know, I would think it would be in L.A. or New York, and I, and I would think that it was in the Rose Bowl the last time out in California in 94, and it was packed. It would have to be a monster stadium that holds, you know, 90,000 plus. Um, doesn't really matter to me. I, I, I really don't have a preference um, because I think no matter where it is, it's going to be sold out. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be an extravaganza. It really isn't going to matter to me. Um, if I was speaking personally, yeah, I'd love to see it in Houston in Energy Stadium. Um, you, know, you know, because we are the third coast in this country we are the most diverse city in the united states and houston is a very interesting sort of gateway to south america and mexico but i think there's so many good choices you could put forward it really 
probably is not going to really matter to me, to be honest with you. I, I didn't give you a great answer, did I? No, no, I was just going to say, Glenn, for a guy who didn't want to name a place, you did a spectacularly good job of nominating Houston as, the, as your preferred location. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, in a roundabout way. <laughs> That just kills your radio show, you know. No, 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 we, we love it, I mate. Apologize. No, don't be silly because we love it. Right now in Australia, you probably wouldn't know that there's this, there's this big... We, we like to think that we're pretty good at barbecuing and it's this sort of Aussie tradition to... Oh, you to, guys are. Yeah, yeah but, are. but we don't do it the way you guys do. And uh, and Texas barbecue is going through a boom in Australia. Uh, people are, uh, are buying, uh, you know, your, your Webbers and your pit barrel cookers and, uh, you know, lump charcoal barbecuing, all that sort of stuff, mate. So they're, they're getting their briskets from their ribs and their hot wings and all sorts of stuff. So, mate, if Aussies want to come and watch some good football and eat really well, then we should have it in Houston. Oh, well, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a kinship when it comes to barbecue. Yeah. And I think Australia and Texas would be perfect together, to be honest with you. <laughs> Maybe that we should stage a joint bid, you, mate. You guys probably do better seafood than us. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come over here and we'll, we'll find out. We'll get Paul Hogan to chuck a couple of shrimp on the barbie for you, mate. Yeah, boy, Paul, I'll tell you what. Paul did a lot for Australia in this country. Yeah, yeah. He certainly he, did. He did the old crocodile Dundee. Hey, Glenn, we'd love to have you back on as this uh, rolls out. And oh, uh, nice. I mean, we do get the, um, the MLS uh, on, on Australia. And TV, and so uh, football fans can, you know, in, in any given week, watch watch a, you know, a, it's actually a, a pretty good time games. frame too. It's it, a, yeah. Uh, often we get up in the morning and watch a bit of MLS. It's good. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, oh, we, that's great. Yeah, we said love to have you back on again, mate. Anytime, you guys, and, and thank you very much. I think this is great, and uh, I'm going to try to, as I mentioned, return the favor, bring you guys on uh, my show because. Uh, I think it would be great to educate people here about uh, kind of what's going on in Australia. I loved mm. Tim Cahill when he was in the league. Yep. Um, so um, that's great. Um, we, we, we really liked him here in the United States, that's for sure. Excellent, mate. Well, we'll, we'll the... Uh... The, uh, the boys would love to come on, mate, and, uh, and any time you like. So, hey, uh, we'll talk to you again real soon, Glenn. Thank you very much, guys. After the break, Dino, he's going to be back, and we're going to get into all the international news. We're going to dig into the Champions League and find out what's going on this weekend. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming via... A bunch of apps around the world and, of course, our podcast, whenever you like, 73 episodes, all sitting there on boxtoboxnts.com.au. Now, Dino, we're going to get into all the international football and what a week it's been. I know we've gone well and truly into the Borussia Dortmund story and, uh, yep. you, you know, you'll um, have a couple of observations there. But, um, but before we get into it, I just wanted to talk about your heart because you're a man with a big heart. You know, you organised our friends to go and see Sydney FC. But we all know the heart is one of the most active tissues in the body. But did you know that your heart requires an adequate supply of enzyme Q10 to keep your heart healthy? Did you know that, Dino? I didn't, but um, I'm interested because obviously our family's had heart conditions. So it's uh, been quite effective on our family. So we we do take our heart seriously. We do. Well, we'd better get you some Healthy Care Coenzyme Q10 from Chemist Warehouse because it assists in maintaining a healthy cardiovascular system and it may also assist in healthy heart function. On average, the heart beats 80 times per minute. That's 4,800 times per hour and 115,000 times a day. Over 80 years, it beats over 3 billion times. That's a lot of beats, isn't it? 
Certainly is. It is, mate. So we'll get you some healthy <laughs> care. Coenzyme Q10. Big bottle. Exactly. Well, we'll get you to start you off with 150 milligram, 100 caps. They're only 25.99 from Chemist Warehouse. Always read the label. Use only as directed. And if symptoms persist, see your doctor. Chemist Warehouse. Lowest prices guaranteed. What is guaranteed when we talk to Dean Hennessy is a real insight into the world game. Mate, what a week it's been. It has. Um, I mean, it's Champions League, most probably, you know, with all the incidents with the, the, the Dortmund situation. It was, um, look, it was, I suppose, very sad news that, you know, we can be exposed to that. But at the same time, you know, every code of, or, or the whole of society around the world, we, we you know, we're mm. all very close to things that happen in each country. You know, you don't have to turn the news on every single day and there's a sad story. So, you know, football, one of the biggest sports in the world, it does get affected. We have covered the Juventus, uh, oh, sorry, the Dortmund stuff pretty extensively, but what are we, we know that having, living in Australia and growing up in the football community like we have, we've all got plenty of Italian friends and weren't they jumping up and down with joy? Dominant. Weren't they 3-0 mm. over Barca? Mm. It was a great performance. Yeah, uh... Dimbala's got two, uh, one in the seventh minute and the twenty-second minute, and then Chiellini, fifty-fifth uh, mm. minute, put it to, to bed. I know Barcelona. We will all be thinking, can they turn this one around after what they did with PSG? Not against the Italians. I don't think against the Italians. So. I'll get the Catanaccio out, mate, and I'll lock up the defence. <laughs> and uh, Gigi Buffon, the story will roll on. Yeah, uh, I agree. That's where you 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 get the, the story that the uh, the whole of Italy is behind Buffon, and um, and they'd love to to see him go out. Uh, even you know, I mean. Haven't, haven't Barcelona been really open this year? You know, the amount Ooh, of times yeah. they've conceded. You know, what I mean, do you put always... that down to as a manager, Dana? Well, I don't know. I think the manager's going. I think that's the, the, the general sentiment that that, mm. that decision's already been dealt with. And, and I always find that a hard thing to do when the manager's mm. gone. And then the players are going, well, you know, he's not going to be here next year. Well, where does that place us? And mm. it just puts a lot of doubt. I mean... I know in big, big jobs like the Barcelona jobs, there's always speculation on mm. all the big top teams in mm. the world, the speculation. And and um, we all know everyone's sackable because it happens uh, week in, week out. Yeah. We have to look at the championship when we go back there. It's, nearly every team's had a new manager. So, mm. look, it's tough being a manager nowadays. Uh, mm. I think with social media and all the, the, the TV rights deals all around the world, you, you're right under the microscope all of the time. You know, And if you slip up, Outside of football, yeah, you know, there's not going to be a camera too far away to, to catch that moment. So, look, it, I think just from a Barcelona point of view, I, I think the instability of the manager and then the next part is, well, who's coming in? So, look, it's going to be tough for them to turn that around. And I think realistically, you know, when they play next week, um, I, I just can't see anything changing. I think uh, I don't think they're going to be able to do it twice. And, and what then, about the other results, mate? Well, um, we went to Wednesday. I mean, um, we most probably will touch on the, the, the Borussia game. I mean, again, that was... It was interesting from Thomas Tuchel's point of view about the, the way it was all structured. But at the end of the day, they are footballers, and, and that's what they said. They all stuck together. It must have been really, really harrowing. Like, you know, there was a couple of comments from players saying what they saw. And they started off... Very slowly, but well, the stadium was amazing, wasn't it? The way that the massive tifo uh, was displayed and and, um, and the singing together, yeah. and, and you know, and that's what, and then what, you know, the the human side of football, mm. where the the Dortmund fans looked after the Monaco fans. And but all you of send those out things. an 18 year old like Killian Mbappe, and he uh, he's not bad, is he? You know, it's yeah. 18 years old and uh, 19 uh, minute and uh, 79th minute scores with the uh, the own goal sandwiched in between him from Bentner. Um, 
look, it was just a bad start. Uh, but given credit, and they had a missed penalty. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and credit to to Borussia, you know, they they clawed their way back into the contest in the sense that you know they've scored two goals uh, through Dembele and uh, Kajua. Uh, mm. But look, it's going to be going. You never know, like with a week to recover. I know they've got league games and they're all their domestic competitions. Mm. Um, but an early goal there away mm. and Monaco, like you know. Monaco have been really good in this Champions League. Yeah. They have, like, I mean, Manchester City know full well. Um, and Borussia Dortmund, as much as they most probably went in the favourites, you, you can't discount Monaco. I mean, you know, I remember Pep Guardiola saying, we've just got to outshoot them because they are going to yeah. score goals. Yeah. They did away from home and then they did when they beat Manchester City in mm. the return leg. So, look, I don't think this is over yet, but mm. I, I think Borussia must get off to a really, really good start in the next round. So, uh, we you know, we, we uh, just don't know how much of the whole situation impacted the performance of Dortmund and whether... I, I just think you have to assume that it did. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't say that less than 24 hours afterwards, whether they were complicit or otherwise in the decision to play the game, it had to have... Look, let's move on to the next game. Leicester City, unlucky. That Griezmann penalty looked like it was out of the well, area. Well, it was, yeah. Look, I've seen that. And again, it's... You know, video refereeing. It's mm. you know, especially when you get to the pointy end quarter. But they're finals. going. They're introducing uh, video refereeing for the for the semi-finals, aren't they? Yeah. So, so it, I mean, it, this has not helped them in the quarters. Yeah. But look, it's still and Atletico not, have not lost away in t- the last twelve games. So you'd expect it, them to come out um, and go pretty hard. Yeah, you do. But look, I think Leicester, you know, take that one out of the equation. Then you know, it's a nil-nil draw away. It's mm-hmm. a great result. Um, but a one-nil is not. You know, it's the same situation. As last time, yeah. Last time, the only difference is they had an away goal, which mm-hmm. was really, really important. But again, um, at Leicester at home with the atmosphere that, like it's been in the last five, six weeks, they've been on a great run apart from the, the defeat. I think it was at Everton. Um, they've been, you know, in the defeat, obviously, uh, last night or the night before. Um, yeah, I, look, I, I don't think this game's over yet, but Atletico is going to be tough to, to, to beat, as we know, because they're very, very good away from home. And briefly, before we skip on to this week's round, the uh, the Real uh, 2 2-1, I should say, against Bayern Munich, uh, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, Ronaldo, 47th minute, 77th minute, uh, Manuel Neuer, uh, man of the match, so that tells you a story. You know, mm-hmm. if you didn't see the highlights or see the game itself, it looks like he was a busy lad all night. Mm-hmm. And I think the send-off obviously affects the game as well. Yeah. Um, you know, with Xavi Martinez sent off in the 61st minute, but the the goal from Vidal, um, again, I think you've got to back Real Madrid. But again, you saw, I looked at the way Bayern Munich pulled apart Arsenal, and, mm. and I know they're not the same, but... They pull them apart in the the away leg. So I think I don't think Bayern Munich will be panicking at this stage. I think they'll just go to task and and attack like they normally do. All right, jump onto this weekend, mate, because you got to leave some. You always need 60 seconds at the end to talk about the championship. We so do. talk us about the Premier League, mate. Um, well, it's I've, really getting hot. The interesting thing I wanted to touch on was, which which I thought was really intriguing, was Crystal Palace's we, uh, win during the That's, week. That would have been the lead story if the the show had been on the next Correct. day. It would. It would. You would have just gone. How about this? You know, mm. the Arsenal situation. But what's compelling about it is not only did the three points then push them a little bit further away from relegation. So there were three points before the game Mm -hmm. out of relegation. Mm -hmm. They're now six. But what is really compelling is they have a game in hand. And if they do, Mm -hmm. they can actually go up to 10th position. Big Sam, eh? So Big Sam, as Mm -hmm. much as it took a little bit of time to to get the horse rolling in the right direction, (laughs) um, 
look, he is good at what he does. Well, you say that England, you know, if he hadn't have been caught in that bloody sting, um, you know, I know Gareth Southgate's been going okay, but uh, the one thing Big Sam will be, he'll, he'll be, probably be able to say uh, as he goes to <laughs> his, his uh, you know, retirement in years to come, I have a 100% winning record. It, only problem was it was one game one against game. Malta. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, we will never know, will we? Look, there's some good uh, there's some good games this week. I mean, the Palace one. Um, I, I think we'll throw that in because they're playing Leicester, mm. and Leicester's obviously had a great return. They're now 11th. Mm. Um, I think the big one as well was Sunderland against West Ham. West Ham obviously got a win last week. Uh, get another one now, and all of a sudden there's a bit of momentum, six points in two games, and I think that would then condemn Sunderland to go down. I mm. can't mm. see. You know they got they the, got well and truly beat. They're going down. They're going down. I think mm. so. Um, <laughs> I, I was listening to the BBC Five um, um, a couple of mornings ago, and uh, there was a, a, a very well spoken but disconsolate fan talking to the host, and uh, he just said, "I'm just disgusted. We are hopeless. We've been watching them for <laughs> ten years, and I tell you, for the rest of my life, I can't imagine them ever playing in the top flight again." Well, Maybe an exaggeration. Look, but, uh, it, look, look, it could be. I mean, uh, obviously, Jermaine Defoe as well gets mm. a free transfer yes. if, he, if they yeah. do go down. So I'll tell you what, if you're living in Sunderland and uh, you are a Sunderland fan and you've been going to watch them for 10 years, I'll tell you what, migration looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other games, the Sunday games... To all are our Sunderland listeners um, listening <laughs> to the podcast, um, cheerio. <laughs> uh, the Sunday games are really interesting this week. West Brom play uh, her eighth against Liverpool. What a great comeback from Liverpool last week at Stoke. Mm-hmm. And the, the winner was absolutely outstanding. Mm-hmm. And then it's Manchester United against Chelsea at Old Trafford, which... Again, it's very important. Man United are in a really good position mm, because they mm. do have a game in hand, and should they win that game in hand, they only go one point behind their real big rivals mm. in uh, Manchester City. Mm. Um, Liverpool are in third, and again, they're pushing again. I mean, they've played one extra game, so I think from their point of view, they're going to be trying to win at West Brom, which is not an easy place. Tony, Tony Pulis mm. has done a great job, as yeah. he always does. Yeah. They're in eighth position. But I think the, the one to watch is the Manchester United-Chelsea game, followed by, most probably, Middlesbrough's, Middlesbrough's last throw of the dice against Arsenal. If there was ever a time to beat Arsenal, this is it. Mm-hmm. And reignite your chance to stay up. Because if they do win yeah. and Hull get beat... And they're playing at Stoke, which I'm sure that, that'll be a more difficult task yeah. uh, after especially losing last week. All of a sudden, that just gives them one more lifeline. Dino, give us the championship in 60 seconds. Championship, well, I think the best way to, to inform all our listeners is it, it hasn't really changed too much in the sense that there's only really two teams who can potentially make the playoffs, and that's Derby and Fulham. Mm-hmm. Um and again, from the relegation, Birmingham City have now thrown, been thrown into it. So our friend, not Gar- happy about that. Well, we're not, but Gary Rowett, I, I blame the owners. Yeah. Straight, you know, they were they were in the playoffs when he got sacked, and they've only won t- two games in the last 20. So, and then he's won three in a row for Derby since he's got the job and drawn one. So, I think Birmingham, Nottingham Forest, Burton, and Bristol City. Will, it's getting very, very tight down there. And I think uh, the only two teams that can potentially affect the playoffs 
uh, is Fulham and Derby, where I think also that the, the two teams are promoted in Brighton and Newcastle. Again, Huddersfield Town have a game in hand, but Huddersfield Town, H- Huddersfield Town, yeah, we're going to get that out. Um, and to all the Brighton and Hove Albion supporters in Australia, Ben Tyro Perez is probably the only one. <laughs> yeah, he will be. I tell you what, he'll be well chuffed. They would be happy because they deserve to go up. They've been at the pointy end of the championship. Yeah. They have for five years. They do. So yeah, well, well, well done to them. And uh, again, it's not mathematical, but I think no, it's but, but I, I, I mean, I'd like to see Wednesday go up as well. I know uh, you know we've got our own stories around. Around Huddersfield to be get seeded Leeds and Reading have been amazing, but uh, and Dino, I know you'd prefer Derby to to be Certainly Reading was. in that conversation, but, <laughs> but, but 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 Wednesday have been unlucky the last few years, haven't they? They've uh, they've well, I, I must say Derby well, have Leeds, most, Derby Leeds have most probably been more more mm. so. Like I mean, the worst one still to this day is the most yeah the one against. Uh, QPR, where they had one strike at goal in the last minute and scored, and they got battered yeah. all day. And, you know, if you don't take your chances, I mean, Steve McLaren lost his job twice over that. Wow. Anyway, Dino, outstanding. Stick around with stoppage time. It's not going to be long, but uh, it'll be funny because we've got a couple of things to go all through right, with you on the to domestic it. game. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box, the Easter edition of the show, the final round of the A-League. It's been a big, big show. We've covered off the serious side of things with Borussia Dortmund and Professor Greg Barton, but we've had a bit of fun with Kenny Lowe, and we've also talked to, to our man in the United States about the World Cup in 2026, which we're all going to. Now, before we get into it, boys, you know, we're all parents in this room, uh, whether it's uh, Edge with his two daughters and uh, and Dino with his crew and the uh, the young baby of Mark Van Aken, uh, the youngest of the lot, Nige, our, our producer panel operator, has uh, got a busy growing family, as do I, and they grow up so fast. And where am I going with this? It's the stuff in their bedrooms. It's the cricket kit. It's the dollhouse. They want to keep it all. But you can't keep it in your house because it's not big enough and you don't want a mess and you don't want them leaving stuff for you to trip over. So no space at your place, get to Storage King. They've got room for all the family treasures and they've got locations all over town. There's a Storage King just around the corner, as we all know, gentlemen. Estimate your space, the space you need from Storage King's Will they website. take Megan as well? Can I take Megan down there? <laughs> yeah, you can, mate. You can set it up. There'll be a nice comfy bed and uh, they've got Wi-Fi there because um, if she oh, doesn't have Wi-Fi... Needs. Well, that's all they need, mate, is a, is a, is a tablet and or a phone and Wi-Fi and something to power it up and maybe some food from time to time to sustain themselves. Call 1-800-STORAGE today or get on to storageking.com.au and you will get one you need from our friends, the Kings. Storage King. Exactly. Marco, um, I'm, I've taken up half of stoppage time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, what's what's the rest of it? You, you had a little local banter you wanted to uh, toss well, I don't know how much banter it is, but former Socceroo Mark Bosnich has spoken out against the hypocritical reporting of fan violence suggesting recent incidents in the AFL prove it is a societal issue and not one involving one particular sport. In fact, that wasn't just violence uh, last week at Adelaide Oval. There was a whole lot of other nasty racial undertones as well. Let's hear from Bozza on Fox Sports. Now, I've always made it a policy of mine because it, 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 that... When there are trouble in other sports, which there are, there was trouble at, at Cronulla versus St George this year, um, and it was, there's been trouble at the cricket. I've always made it my own personal policy, not to 
be like you know go on a massive rant as 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 you would say in that because I, I realise it's a social problem. Mm. But you get the other people. I think it's the, the, Malcolm Con or whatever his name from always jumping on the top of football. That lady. I said there are certain characters that continually jump on the sport and try to paint everybody with the same brush. Grow up and wake up because it happens everywhere. Yeah, okay, so that, that's all I'm going to say. And like I said to you, I understand coming from a sport where it, where it has happened, not only in this country, but it's mm. happened in a serious way back in the UK when I, when I used to say, I understand it. But you realise that in every society, in every uh, uh, gathering, wherever it is, there's always going to be a minority of, of people who can and will make trouble. And on top of that, uh, throw bananas at Eddie Betts and call him a monkey, which according to that thing that they put on TV that was calling mm. him that, um, is not racial. Well, what, what is it then, love? Mm, yeah, well, we Seriously. all know what it is. It's disgusting, it's offensive, and, uh, and this as is far not... as I'm concerned, people like that should the... be arrested and thrown in front of the court. The point is, for our listeners, is that uh, soccer, our game, football, mm, mm. we call it football, but from time to time we have to call it soccer, um, we get a hard deal here. We mm. do get uh, some nasty reporting uh, and unfair reporting, and in the context mm. of what's happened in the AFL, you'd have to agree that Boz's comments are spot on. Absolutely, boys. Now, uh, again, not much banter there, unfortunately, for you, Rob, but uh, I think the banter all... is that... Yeah, banter doesn't always have to be humorous. It can, can we be take this local for a moment? Stoppage time. I know. I just want to apologise to everybody outside of Victoria, but Dean's mob plays my mob this weekend. We do. And, uh, yeah, be... You've got five on the right. I think we've, we've done pretty well, too. King Kenny's been scoring goals for okay, fun. So, okay, so who's your mob? Who's Dean's mob for first-time listeners? My mob's... Heidelberg, mm. uh, the great Alexander, and Dean's Mobs, Hume, uh, mm-hmm. the great Albion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, it's it's a big game, um, but it's just another game, unfortunately. Oh, look at the coach. So it's just gonna another keep game. It very, very nice and neat and tidy. Uh, yeah, we're on a decent roll now. No but... kebabs in Olympic Village on Monday. They'll just be Suvlakia for those people who understand what that means. Would there be any plumbing in the grandstand, by any chance? <laughs> Mark doesn't no. like my mob. South That's Melbourne just... opened their social club for the first time in six years. I was there. Last it was week. actually quite good. Very uh, good. And it's got plumbing. Yeah, very good. Very good. <laughs> yeah, and it was a good uh, event last weekend, the doubleheader. And they announced Lisa Devana, Matilda's skipper. Yeah, she was yeah. good. See, but these conversations can be replicated in uh, football all they over the country. Every state's got the same story. Yeah, we know that. And, <laughs> As we uh, know. I know. Uh, normally I would say to Dean, because uh, I love him like a brother, normally I'd, I'd be, I'm following Hume City's performances very closely and I wish him all the best, but this weekend I hope he cops about five. <laughs> Yeah, as Dino nods sagely. Hey, guys, that's it. So that's full-time on box to box If you missed the start of the show, get on to box to box ntscomau You can listen to the podcast and join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.